Welcome to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. I'm Josh Schneiderweiler, and our guest for this month's episode is Francis Kahigao, the technical director for Chile. Francis told me about his 24 years with Arsenal, including as their head of international scouting, and how he helped recruit players like Cesc Fabregas. First, he told me about his current job and how he ended up with Chile. I took this job uh, now over 12 months ago. So what was proposed to me, like with anything, an initial proposal is then very different sometimes to what you find uh, when you arrive at a place. In this, in this particular situation, and in my case, I, I arrived in Chile when they were in a moment of, uh, you could say, a little bit of upheaval. They had dismissed their senior manager um, at their for senior level men's side after four games in the World Cup qualifying um, competition with four points out of 12 uh, in seventh place. And um, so when I arrived, we didn't have a, a uh, coaching staff or a um, team manager or senior manager uh, in our senior side in the midst of World Cup qualifiers. There was no under-17 coaching staff or, or head coach there was no under-15 senior staff or head coach. There was no scouting, identification and analysis department. The logistics department had been broken up, so there was no logistics department. And there wasn't a stable medical department. So basically, these 12 months have been firstly putting in place all the coaching uh, staff, performance staff and support staff across all of those teams, then working on uh, building a, um, a scouting ID and analysis department, including uh, data, and then working on the, a new logistics department, a new medical department, and then also um, support staff and performance staff for women's football. So it's, as you can see, it's been 12 very, very, very intense months. I had the opportunity to go to other clubs, working as a, as a director of football or sporting director, also working as a head of recruitment. But obviously, this, this offer came along. It was something completely different. It would give me a different perspective, which was looking at international football, working within an FA, a federation, um, and that working very closely with a national team. So it was a very, very big challenge, you know, and it obviously it started with having to hire, in, you know, in the, in the range of 30 or 40 staff. How do you build kind of a scouting and analysis, an analysis department kind of from the ground up, from nothing? Yeah, um, it's a good question. I mean, obviously, I've been a player, a professional player, probably a mediocre professional player, but I was a professional player for, for 13, 14 years. And I came from a footballing background. I was a coach um, in Spain. And obviously, I worked at the Spanish FA for many, many years as a course tutor on the uh, director of football and the technical director's course. Uh, so I've been involved in what you could call sporting director or, or director of football uh, formation for many, many, many years. Obviously, then I had a very strong uh, background in, in recruitment, um, you know, which many, many years of, of working in different areas of scouting and recruitment and, and obviously opponents analysis as well, you know, and, and, and leading to, to eventually becoming head of scouting at, at Arsenal. So I think it's a combination of all those things. I can't just say it's just uh, a background in recruitment and, and scouting. 
Um, I would say that the fact that um, I worked at such a top club under such an outstanding leader uh, like Arsene Wenger and also worked with some brilliant people such as Steve Rowley, uh, you know, and, and, and in later years, you know, people like Brian McDermott, and Peter Clark, and, you know, um, some, some very, very, very talented uh, people in what they did. And I think we had a, a fantastic um, team. And, and certainly I, I would even go as far as to say that there were years where we were pioneers in, in, in our field, you know, and that again was probably thanks to the vision of Arsene Wenger. You know, so Arsenal was one of the first clubs to really embrace data with their acquisition of stat DNA about a decade ago or so. How did that change your kind of recruitment process or how did that kind of aid or change it? I think we were very, very wary when uh, initially, you know, there were things we didn't understand. Uh, oh, can you give me an example? Like, Yeah, I, 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 you know, we, we didn't understand how certain conclusions were being made um, and, and people were coming to certain numbers. So you have to delve into the process. Uh, and certainly, at the, you know, data is like anything. It's like, it's like the mobile phone you've got in your pocket. You know, it, we're not using the same type of mobile phone now as we did 10 years ago. Um, you know, and things move so fast um, in a technological world and, and you have to adapt to that and you have to adapt very, very, very quickly. Uh, and I would say that there's a lot of people that have come into football uh, via that process who are, who are not uh, the right types for football. Um, you know, there was a lot of people who had jump, jumped on a bandwagon, you know, and probably still are uh, jumping on that bandwagon. But I would say that clubs in 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 general, are now more efficient. Um, they have more information in terms of what they actually want, in terms of specifics. So I would say that the, the data that, that, that you use now is, is more in accordance to what each club needs, you know, because, it, as I said before, the, the most important point is to find the metrics that suit your particular club or your particular level or your particular culture or identity you know so at the beginning yeah you know Steve Rowley even Arsene in some uh, situations myself you know we had a lot of com conversations with uh, uh, Jason uh, you know Rosetel, who's at who's at our club and by stat DNA and it was just a question of building understanding and building also trust and building also trust you know um, I think personally it's very important also for people working in data and analytics to also uh, have a good comprehension of the game or football. You know, I don't think you can separate it. I don't think you can say, okay, I've got my computer here. We're going to work with these analysts here and we're just working numbers and that's it. I, I, for me, it doesn't work that way. For me, if you're going to work with uh, data analysts and if you're going to work with, um, you know, with, with, with very advanced data, I do think that people need to have a comprehension and understanding of the game. You know, uh, and I think that understanding of the game is the key factor in football, like it is in anything else. So obviously, it sounds like it took you a while to kind of, you know, as you said, trust stat DNA and using data in the process, you know, at the time, because this is obviously a, a while ago, I hope you don't mind sharing, were there like any specific KPIs or things that, you know, Arson asked you to look at or that you, you know, wanted to see from stat DNA? Certainly the last few years, we came to a very good consensus and we had a committee, you know. Um, so it was head of scouting, it was the manager, it was uh, head of data, uh, it was the CEO. And we had a committee and, you know, 
we would work as a transfer committee. Uh, certainly that's the way it worked in my last six, seven years at Arsenal, you know, uh, with Arsene and even post Arsene as well. You know, the two years I, I was at the club after Arsene. But um, I, th- I think the important thing is to identify you what, what you want, you know. And this is like anything. You say, you know, how do you know a book is good? You, you have to read it, you know, start to finish. You know, I'll, I'll tell you if a book is good. Or I'll tell you if a film is good once I've seen it or once I've read it. You know, um, and it's the same with anything. And data was the same. You know, you have to understand the process. Uh, and I would say that now I have a good understanding of how it works. I have a good understanding of the needs, uh, you know, uh, be it at a football club, be it a football club in the Premiership, be it a football club in England, be it in Spain, be it a federation. You know, um, I think you have to go um, acquiring knowledge, acquiring experience. And I don't think there's absolutely any substitute for any of those two. Something that's slightly aligned with that is, is football manager. And, you know, a lot of people listening will probably be familiar with the Ben Brereton Diaz uh, story. You know, for those that don't know, he has uh, a Chilean mother uh, and a bunch of fans, uh, Chilean fans, um, started a social media campaign because they noticed him on the game football manager. And that eventually led to him playing with the Chilean national team. You know, uh, a lot of people know that story, but from your perspective, and I haven't seen you talk about this before. How did you first hear about him? Well, I knew about Ben Brereton when he was about 16 years old. And I'd followed Ben, uh, you know, by the England um, under 17s and England, the young England sides, under 19s. Um, start of his career, he played against Arsenal on a few occasions, scored against Arsenal. So I knew, I knew uh, Ben Brereton well as a player, funnily enough. Yes, there, there had been, you know, there, there had been some noise in Chile about him and Chile were aware of Ben Brereton. There'd even been a, been a phone call in the past before I got here asking about his situation, but no, nothing had been done. So when I got to Chile, there was actually no, there was nothing testimonial. You know, there was no reports on Ben Brereton. There was no uh, analysis on Ben Brereton and the you know so the one of the, actually one of the first things I did was to begin that analysis uh, and that process then I we started to talk to him we actually used um, Jeremy Corbyn's son uh, Ben Corbyn to to uh, to introduce us seeing as um, well Jeremy Corbyn's uh, uh, wife is Chilean so um, so they they knew the the Brereton Diaz family so it was um, we used that to get into his inner sanctum, so to say. Uh, I, began, I began talking to his agent as well, and uh, began talking to Ben about the possibility. Uh, and then it was just, basically, it was just a, um, a question of me convincing uh, our head coach that we had to bring him in uh, because he, he gave us something we didn't have, um, you know, um, a completely different type of option up front to what Chile had in those moments. Of course, we got Alexis Sanchez, you could probably call a second striker come winger, Eduardo Vargas, uh, you know, and, and younger players like Morales. But we didn't have a, a player of uh, Ben's style. And I knew that, that, that he was a player with a lot more potential to come. So um, it was just a question of let's bring him in. Let's bring him in. Let's look after him because um, I'm sure that this player will, will do well for us. Uh, and luckily for us, and for him, I would say, um, things have turned out very well. Um, and, and to tell you the truth, it's, it's, the credit has to go to Ben because 
he came here, he didn't speak um, Spanish. So obviously for him, it's, I imagine it was a very big help to have this, you know, uh, Cockney uh, <laughs> director of football um, here who he could speak to. And he was a little bit timid at first. And it, 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 it wasn't easy for him initially. You know, we brought him in prior to the Copa America. Then we took him to the Copa America. And to tell you the truth from there, you know, he scored against Bolivia, played very well when he came on against Argentina. And it all took off from there, you know. There was always a good feeling with him and the rest of the squad. And to tell you the truth, now it's very evident that Ben is a very, very important player for, for Chile. Uh, and I think he's a, he's a player still with so much more to come. You know, I'd be very, very, very surprised if he's not playing in the uh, Premiership next season. Be at Blackburn, and that, that would be great for Blackburn because it's a club that, that I'm fond of. We've got a very good relationship with them. Um, but as I say, he, he's a player who I think at this stage now in his career, you know, he, he, he should be playing at top level. So I'm just curious, like when you took the role as, you know, the national director of football, did you, when you took that, know that like, oh, wait, we might be able to bring, bring him into the folder. Like we, we can try to recruit him into yeah, the folder. Yeah. Oh, wow. So it was kind of pre, pre-known to you. That yeah, well, I, mean, my, I, I did my homework. Yeah. I did my homework, obviously, you know, before. Mm. Um, I, I already knew that Brereton was, was Brereton Diaz. You know, yeah. I'd seen that. Uh, in the past, uh, you know, um, it, 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 it very much surprised me that he hadn't been called up already. That for me was a big surprise because, um, you know, when I looked, at, I looked at the squad, I thought, you know, here's a player who, who can make a difference. Did I think he would make so much of a difference? No, because I didn't think he would adapt so quickly. Um, you know, and as I say, that's why the credit is his. It's down to Ben, you know, because I think he's a, he's a top level professional. And a really top-level, humble, down-to-earth guy, you know, and that's why he's he's having the success he's having. You uh, obviously were at Arsenal for you know about twenty-four years or so before you got to Chile. You were let go along with you know around fifty Arsenal staff, kind of at the beginning. No, that was that, that was completely separate. I, I had nothing to do with those. Okay, runners. that that was something that appeared in the press, but I actually had nothing to do with those under the season. Okay. Well, my, my uh, situation was completely separate. What, was that, was that voluntary or um, did you want to stay at the club? It was forced, but uh, you know, I, I, it's not something I can, I can really go into in depth due to, um, you know, the, the settlement agreement that, the, um, that we came to, but I would say that there was not a good feeling uh, between myself and some people at the Arsenal hierarchy. Obviously, I'm Arsenal through and through because I've been there. I started my career there as a player, you know, uh, going back as far back as 1988 when we won the FA Youth Cup. So, um, you know, it's a, cl- a club I worked for many, many years. It's still the first, very, very first result I look for, um, you know, whether it be midweek or or at the end of the weekend. And also, you know, whenever I get the chance to watch them, I watch them. Um, you're not going to fall out of love so easily, uh, you know. So, but... But I would say that, yes, I, I, you know, I, I certainly, um, there, there, there was not a good feeling. And also, I, you know, if I, if I have to be honest, I would probably say that 24 years at one club is a very, very, very long time, you know. Um, I, maybe the club starts to take things for granted. Maybe I start to take things for granted. I don't know. I mean, um, I certainly think that we had a very, very good scouting id and recruitment setup and i think we had an exceptional also academy setup 
that was broken up. And um, and listen, in, in football, you have to move on. And, um, you know, you, you don't have much time to dwell on, on things, you know. And what if this and what if that? It's pointless. It's a pointless exercise. You're not always going to get on with everybody. Um, you know, I, I'm somebody who very much speaks their mind, you know, and I believe in that. And I also believe that staff around me or people that I work with have to speak their mind as well. You know, uh, if you've got something to say, don't hold back, say it. Uh, that's always been my approach, right or wrong. It's not for everybody. I understand that it's not for everybody. But as I say, that the most important thing is to not dwell on things and move on. You know, I could have moved on many, many, many times uh, whilst I was at Arsenal. You know, um, I had a lot of offers, Arsene, you know, and Steve Rowley, you know, they, they, they knew about most of them. I always stayed at the club because I was happy, you know. Um, and I would probably say that, that, that my split, you know, leaving the club, it probably came at the right time. I maybe should have moved on when Arsene left, um, you know, uh, but I was actually asked to stay on uh, in that transitional period, you know, when I had something else and I was, I was asked to stay on uh, and help them through that transitional period. So I like to also think that I did help the club through a transitional period. Um, and now I've moved on to something else, you know, um, and, and I'm happy to, you know, because I'm working uh, in an environment where I'm, Number one, I'm able to continue uh, that learning curve, which never ends. And also, number two, I'm able to influence um, and to put in practice a lot of the experience that I've accumulated over many years, over 35 years in the game. You've alluded to kind of your experience as a player playing with Arsenal um, and playing in Spain. And then, you know, your time as a coach, you know, I'm sure most of the people listening don't know your backstory too much. Uh, can you just talk a little bit about playing at Arsenal and then going to, to Spain in, in the late eighties? You know, I think that's a, a path that most people didn't really tread uh, at that time um, because I think, you know, I am interested in to see if that did inform kind of your your time later on uh, post-playing? It did, yeah. Um, it, okay, so my background is basically I'm, I'm, um, I'm a Londoner, but um, I'm the son of Spanish immigrant parents who are from Galicia, um, La Coruña. I um, Deportivo La Coruña. So um, they arrived in England in 1964. So uh, I grew up in London on a council estate um, in southwest London, Spent most of my time playing football as a youngster in West and, and in South London. I went to very much a rugby playing school with London Archery, so uh, didn't get too much of a chance to play at school. But obviously, football was non-stop out of school, and, um, and I played for some very good youth clubs. Um, uh, I didn't break into, into professional football or, or into a professional club at a very early age. You know, I was living in the Pimlico area. And the fact that I went to a rugby playing school and that I was doing rugby and I was doing athletics at quite a high level as well um, meant that I, I was probably very spotted late. So I ended up at a, a semi-professional club called Wembley. Um, and I was 16 playing for Wembley and playing for Middlesex County when I was spotted by Arsenal. Um, so I'd, I'd already initiated my A-levels and I was, I'd stayed on. I was at college uh, and, you know, it was a difficult one with my mum uh, who wanted me to stay on and study. So uh, Arsenal came to an agreement, allowed me to, to see out that final year of my A-levels. In the end, I had to, uh, you know, there was no way, there was no way out. And so I joined Arsenal the following year full time already, uh, although I was already playing in their youth team, uh, a very, very successful youth team. 
uh, under Pat Rice, uh, you know, who went on to become uh, right-hand man and assistant manager for Arsene Wenger for many, many years. Um, a great education. There's no, there was no better place at the time, I think, for football and education. And I think that football education has had a huge influence on the rest of my life. Obviously, whilst playing for Arsenal, I'm of uh, Spanish parents, so I qualify for England and for Spain. And um, I, we, you know, Barcelona and Real Madrid. I had an offer from Barcelona and Real Madrid to join uh, those clubs. I had a, um, the offer of a new contract, professional contract, on the table at Arsenal, and I had to make a very big decision at the age of 18: stay at Arsenal or join one of those two huge clubs as well. Um, in the end, I chose, I, I chose Barcelona. You know, looking back. And reflect, I've probably said more than once, I think I made the wrong decision, but, you know, I think probably I should have stayed at Arsenal where, where there was people who, who, you know, had confidence in my ability. And, um, and I went to a huge club who, who were in the middle of a transformation period, you know, post and then Johan Cruyff period. And um, I joined very young. Those are the days when you didn't have agents, or at least I didn't have an agent. Um, you know, I had a, a very big operation. I was already struggling with an injury playing games but not training uh, whilst I was at Arsenal because we were, you know, we, we were, we were on, that, on that road to winning the FA Youth Cup. So when I got to Spain, I had a very big operation. Uh, and even though and I was playing in the Spanish second division, you know, at 18 for Barcelona B, training with the first team, um, you know, on regular periods at Barcelona, then had a very big operation, missed the under-20 World Cup uh, with Spain. I was playing for Spain at under-19, under-20 level. And then after that, I was loaned out uh, to, to Racing Santander, where, you know, um, I started very, very, very well, but then broke my, my, uh, my toe and then had more pelvic issues. You know, I, I hadn't recovered well from that injury. So it was really my first few years were, were, were very, very tough, you know, with, with some injuries, with some operations. I came back to England. I, uh, I played at South End. It was, a, again, a very difficult period for me. Didn't really fully get over a lot of my injury problems. Uh, probably wasn't very well suited to the side I, I was at, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the second division, what is nowadays the championships, a team that played very direct and it probably didn't, didn't you know, it wasn't my style. I certainly think if I had gone back 10 years after, you know, where, where there was a different type of football was being played in England, I would have performed a lot better. But I, I think I can only blame myself for that. But yeah, I had a career then between England and Spain and second division in Spain. Uh, you know, uh, I was already taking my coaching badges. And I, by that time, you could probably say that in the middle of my playing career, I was already thinking about coaching. It probably affected my, my, my performance because, you know, I, I, I even started coaching young teams. I took my, my coaching badges in England very early, you know, and by the time I was at the end of my playing career, my last years in Spain, you know, where, where I was already coaching the youth team, captain of the, uh, of the first team at Club Lemos, uh, and eventually became director of football and manager of the first team, you know, and I was 29 years of age. Um, had to quit because I'd had operations on my, on my ankle. It was the right moment just to, um, to move into coaching and management. And I did that in Spain. And those, those few years, we played a playoff. Uh, to the second division, uh, we did very, very well at a small club with very limited funds. And I think that education, early education at Arsenal, those setbacks as a player, you know, because you start at very big clubs with very, very big high expectations and you maybe don't fulfil your, your potential. 
Uh, and then you go through that process. I think that's what helped me later on, certainly helped me to, uh, to work with young players uh, and to guide young players and certainly to identify young players. So I think all that process and that experience, you know, where, where, where you've had to eat a lot of humble pie for many years, I think in, in the end um, was very, very important as my, in my development uh, as a professional within the game and as a person. It's so interesting because you're talking about coaching and it seems based on what you're telling me that like your, your goal was to be a coach. Very much so. But then you become a, a scout for, you know, for one of the top scouts at Arsenal for 24 years. How did that happen? You know, take me through that. Well, I was taking my coaching back, my final coaching badges, and I was doing some work experience at Arsenal. I was already manager in Spain, but um, I was coming back in the summers to, uh, to the FA and, and I'd just come back from Lillishaw and I was working with uh, Don Howe was, was still at the club, you know, absolute legend, incredible coach and person. Um, and via my connection with Pat Rice, which, you know, I'd kept, I, I've, I've been um, helping out with uh, one of Arsenal's uh, under 16 sides. And it, was a, it wasn't a chance meeting, but it was Pat Rice had, had, had told me that, um, that the club were looking to initiate a global scouting system um uh, which wasn't yet in place and so um a meeting was set up with between steve rowley then arsene wenger himself and basically they told me about what they wanted to do um steve rowley at the time was chief scout this is going back like you know nearly 26 years and uh i told them that look, i just signed a contract three-year contract as a manager in spain uh, as a head coach and that i wanted to coach so they were you know i was i was lucky i was fortunate enough that they asked me for, you know, if I could combine both things for them, um, you know, being a head coach in Spanish third division and um, working in their, in their new scouting operation, global scouting operation, and uh, initially within Spain and Portugal. So obviously I had to, get, had to get permission from the club I was at. So there had to be, you know, some talk between the club I was at and, uh, and Arsenal. That went smoothly. I was allowed to do that. So uh, those days were pretty crazy because... I was um, head coach and technical director of a club and I was in charge of their academy, you know. So, um, and I was, uh, um, you know, uh, the city I had just stopped playing and I, uh, obviously I was scouting for Arsenal in Spain and Portugal. So I was taking flights, coming back from a flight, going straight to the game, uh, managing, going to a training session, then going out and, hitting Porto or hitting Lisbon or hitting Sevilla or Betis. It was, it was crazy times, but it was, again, um, a fantastic education. And basically the scouting department, in terms of the, 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 you know, the global international side of it, it took off with Steve Rowley, with Damien Camoli and myself. You know, and I think that was that we were the, like the first, the first three there. And obviously Steve worked many, many, many years at Arsenal, you know, fantastic, brilliant servant to Arsenal and fantastic person to work with. Fantastic person, full stop. Damien obviously moved on to other things in the game. And I obviously ended up 24 years at the club and have now moved on to other things. So, you know, but it was, it was um, a marvellous education and, uh, and, and a great opportunity that at the time, you know, I couldn't say no to. So one of the people you're, you know, famous for, you know, unearthing or scouting at the time was Cesc Fabregas, um, who obviously had a, an amazing career at Arsenal. Do you remember the first time, you know, you watched him um, and, you know, what 
to you kind of made him as a young player kind of stand out? Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, many, many years and you watch thousands of players. I would say that was, you got to remember, he was playing in the same team with Gerard Piquet and Leo Messi. So when I saw them play, you know, you could say I went nuts because I thought we've got to sign these three players immediately. And, and we did try to bring all three in. We had two of them in the offices. One signed, the other didn't sign. And we had the other one probably didn't sign because of a work permit. And that's been documented and, you know. Yeah. Um, that, that's messy, said, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the people have said it themselves. Yeah. Know? So it's not as if, you know, I'm saying something new here. Um, now, the one that we were able to bring in, obviously, um, Cess, he had something which was not common in young players. Certainly not common. I mean, the... the I think now we're, we're living in times where there's more football analysis, more football analysis available to young players. You don't want to inundate young players' heads with too much information, you know, especially when they're not ready for it. But certainly young players have more information. Uh, and there is a tactical side to the, to, and, and analytic tactical side of the game, which younger players, um, I think, more and more begin to understand. And there's, there's, there's methods which now are, are very evident and technology helps us uh, in terms of the development of young players. But at the time, we looked at you looked at this player who you know there wasn't much about him physically, um, you know, not even for Spanish football, uh, let alone you know to be thrown into the deep end um, in English Premiership football. But you you looked at a player of top top intelligence, um, you know. I, I remember saying at that time that he had a GPS in his head. That's what I said. I said the kid's got a GPS in his head. You know, it wasn't many times. We haven't been using GPSs for, for too long. And it, uh, so, so that's what sprang to mind. He was always one pass and one movement ahead of everybody else. You know, that next pass and that next movement was already in his head because he'd already scanned, you know, and his vision and awareness and understanding of the game was exceptional. You know, your link laps with very good ability, uh, very efficient, quick vision, uh, very uh, efficient uh, in terms of uh, playing through the lines and moving the ball very quickly and understanding how to get on possession, uh, even in very tight areas. And you link that to a very steely determination. That was very, very evident. You know, he wasn't going to get bullied. You know, he wasn't going to get smashed off the ball, even at that young age and with a very slight frame. You know, he was very competitive. Now, that was the part that immediately drew you to thinking he'll do OK in England, you know, because it's not about size. It's about mentality. And so I think after that, you know, the rest of the story is basically, you know, it's down to Cess. But, um, yeah, I think we identified a, a, a very good young player. But then the next part is how does that young player adapt? How quickly does he adapt? You know, and that was all down to his intelligence. So um, I think after that, we saw a lot of more young players, a lot of players from Spain move. But that was a pioneer mo uh, moment. It was a pioneer mm -hmm. moment because we brought a, a young player in from a top, top, top world club. Uh, you know, in my opinion, a club that at the moment, at the time, hadn't properly done their due, due diligence in terms of internal identification. And I'll always say that the most important part of identification is internal identification the one that starts at your club. Make sure that you've done your homework and you know who the top young players are at your club that are coming through, you know? You need to know who's the top player in your under-14s, in your under-15s, in your under-16s, because things move so quickly nowadays. 
And young players develop so fast that you those some of those players are in your first team in two or three years, you know, and are assets, patrimonial assets. So I think they haven't done that due diligence, you know. We saw the opportunity. I saw the opportunity to bring him in. And then we worked very well uh, as a department. Arsene was, was key, you know, because he, he afforded Steve Rowley and myself uh, the space to work and the space to take decisions. David Dean also was, was a key figure in those years in helping to push through all those recommendations and helping to work on the uh, legal side of everything. And um, I think, you know, we did our, our job very well with Cess and with many, many, many other young players, you know, who either went on to be, you know, regular players and very influential or that we even sold and, uh, you know, and made a, a, a very big financial uh, benefit for the club as well. So, but certainly it probably started with, in those years, with um, with Cess, even though you could say it started a little bit earlier with like an Elka and, you know, and players like that who Arsene had identified by his contacts in France. But, you know, it, when you were talking about Cesc, you know, you listed a lot of qualities that were, really had to do with character and, as you said, intelligence. And you look at a lot of the players that you've signed or, you know, helped sign Van Pierce, Nacho Monreal, Hector Bellerin, you know, um, you know, there's a long list. I can't, we don't have all day, but, you know, something strikes me as, you know, it seemed like you were able to kind of identify the character and really the the intelligence of players. Is that something you really looked for in young players that maybe at that think, age is more important? I or think, Yeah, I mean, I think, um, no, certainly, yes. But I think the fact that I was brought up in England, so there's this part of me that is very much, I don't know if English, but it's very much London. Um and uh, and I have a, a good understanding of, of the English game and the, and the Premiership. And then also I, I had a good understanding of the Latin game. So I think this mix, this combination, this understanding of, of what you need. Um, so I think it helps you to identify. It certainly helped me to identify which players could adapt and could adapt quicker to, to, to the Premiership. You know, you're talking about a game which... Um, I think now you're probably seeing a lot more intensity in every league. You know, you're looking at games here in South America and you're seeing, I, I'm certainly seeing some very, very intense games here in South America. But um, at the time, you know, the premiership, you know, it was very quick. Well, it still is quick, even though it's more tactical now than it was. Uh, but it was very quick. It was very, very demanding physically, still is, obviously. So, so you had to identify not only the talent. You, you, I think the talent is, is the part that you can identify quicker. Um, you know, and um, I think you need to really have a good understanding of the character, the intelligence, um, the ambition, the hunger of those young players, you know, um, obviously of their surroundings, their family situation. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of key key areas and key factors in, in terms of whether a player will adapt or not, you know, and, and the club you know, the clubs and can put all the support staff that they want. Uh, but in the end, uh, it's it's that player who's going to have to adapt. And it's that player who's going to have to want want it more than, you know, anything else in his life. And I think that's what we saw with, with Cess and with many of the young players that arrived at Arsenal in those years. So how did you like determine their their character? How did you find that? Did you talk to them in this recruitment process? Or what, what was your way of kind of going um, and identifying that? Well, yes, you have to talk to them. First, you have to look for those uh, key elements within their game first, first and foremost, because in the end, that that will be the most important and defining factor, their game, 
their performance. So you have to look for elements. So you have to, so you would say, well, we're, look, we're not going to watch him, you know, against the bottom side. We're going to watch him against one of the top sides and we're going to watch him away from home. We're going to watch him in a hostile environment. We're going to watch him, if, any, if possible, playing a few years up uh, on his age, you know. Um, then we're going to, uh, obviously, when we meet him, uh, once we've identified to a certain extent his, his character from an external point of view or, you know, from a purely footballing point of view, then, you know, you, you want to know a little bit more about his, um, the nature of his, of his uh, persona. Uh, so obviously, yes, yes, you speak to the player. Yeah, and, and, and it's very important to see how assertive he is, uh, how hungry he is, whether he's a good listener, how he rates his own performance. I think, you know, that self-analysis is very important in football. You know, I, me I remember when I was speaking to Cesar's young player and I would say, how do you think you did? And he would say, no, nah, that was poor. You know, and, and I was there thinking... What an outstanding game he's just had, you know. But he would be very critical of his own performance, very analytical, and he would actually break it down, you know. So you 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 could see very early that you're you're talking about someone who has an understanding of the game, a love of the game, critical of his own performance, which will make him keep driving himself, you know. Someone with real ambition. I think that, you know, it was, it, it was, it's always very good to listen in on the conversations with Arsene and young players, you know, because Arsene would always ask the right questions uh, of them. You oh, know, it, that's very interesting. I want to stop you there for a second. When you say ask the right questions, like, can you give me an example or like uh, be a bit more specific? Because I'm, I'm, I would love to imagine I mean, this I, situation. You know, it, it wouldn't be unnatural for somebody like Arsene and, you know, I would imagine this is not exclusive to us, but it wouldn't be un unnatural for him to, to ask players where they would see themselves in six months, where they would see themselves in one year. Could they see themselves playing in the Arsenal team now? Could they see themselves adapting to, uh, to the culture, to the identity? So questions that, that obviously, for imagine you're a young kid, 16 years old, 15 years old. You know, these are not easy questions to answer when you have in front of you, you know, a team of, you know, experienced adults with, with a lot of knowledge of the football game. So it can be, I can imagine the situation is very daunting for, for, for a young player. So when you see that kind of, um, when you see that sort of auto, you know, confidence, self-confidence, and at the time, at the time also that, that self or that, that auto-analytic and critical mind in a young player, you know, you, you know that if he's got talent, you're onto something. When you were, um, you know, doing the scouting, were you involved in the negotiation process back then as well? Because in there wasn't. In some cases, yes. In some cases, no. Hmm. Okay. Um, it depends on on how, uh, you know, you build relationships in football. So so you build relationships with people. So if you if you if you had a certain relationship, maybe with a certain player or family of a certain player, or you know, or you knew the background, I would say most of the work was background information. You know, um, it's uh, all about compiling as much information as possible to make sure that the person that has to get the player or the player's agent to sign that contract, you know, that you actually get to get the deal to, to, to go over the line, you know. So whether that be uh, David Dean initially or, you know, um, Ken Fryer at some stage and, and after that, Dick Law, Richard Law, you know, it was, it was just a question of working very closely with them, uh, with Steve Rowley and with Arsene Wenger, and then after Steve Rowley left, obviously with Arsene, and then obviously after that with uh, with Ivan Gazidis, you know, and and getting those those uh, getting all the information 
possible to the club so that the club could make the right decision and also the club could uh, decide whether to invest, whether not to invest and how much to invest. You know, do you see more English clubs because of Brexit looking for talent in South America? I mean, you're in Chile right now. You see a lot of the South American talent up close. Um, Do you see that happening more uh, going forward? I would say it's the continent. It's probably the continent with the most amount of talent. And for example, what you see from the World Cup qualifiers, I mean, it's by far the most difficult, challenging and demanding World Cup qualifying group. I mean, there are no easy games, you know. Um, you know, you, I think with all due respect in UEFA in Europe, you, you, you know, you get some sides, you know, paired or matched up very unevenly in groups. Here you've got 10 teams. They're all, you know, okay, you've got the two giants who are Brazil and Argentina, you know, who you, you would always say they're in the world's top five nations. But the rest are at a very high level. And I'm not even including here having to play at 4,000 metres altitude, you know, nearly, you know, 40, 45% up Mount Everest nearly, you know, <laughs> to, uh, you know, where we played and won in our last game, you know, or playing at, at high altitude in Quito or playing at extreme heat and, uh, in, and humidity in Barranquilla in Colombia or in Asuncion in Paraguay um, or now in Bahia where we have to play against Brazil. So, um I think the conditions, uh, the quality of the football, the teams, it's by far the most difficult. Um, I think where, where South American football has to improve uh, probably is at club level, even though the Brazilian league is now very, very strong. Um, I think it's, it's been ranked, you know, it's, I don't know if it's first or second in the world, the Brazilian league at the moment at present. And, and there is a lot of uh, top, top, top talent young talent coming through in South America. I think the problem that they've had here is a lot to do with their own internal identification. And obviously with the fact that that, um, financially it's very difficult to hold on to players when you've got the big European clubs uh, showing interest. Um, But people are working very well here in in, in South America. And I I do think that you will see more and more South American players uh, playing in the premiership in the next three, four years. So for yourself personally, you know, long-term, I mean, you're still a young guy. Um, what, that. <laughs> what are your goals or ambitions? Well, as I say, I, I needed this change in my life. I needed a new experience. I needed to broaden my experience. You know, I, I, I think I'm at a stage in my life where, I, you know, I have a lot to offer and, and, I'm, and, and I'm working on something which is very important here. Uh, I don't want to look too far ahead. I would say that, you know, Come six, seven, eight months' time, it might maybe a moment for me to look ahead. But at the moment, I don't want to look too far ahead. But at some stage, I don't know whether that will be, you know, in the near future or when years ahead. But it, it, I, I would like to, to go back to, uh, to European football and work there again because I think I'll be in a good position to, to offer value. But at the moment, you know, I've still got a lot of work to do here. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure. No, the pleasure was mine. Thanks for that, Josh. Thank you for listening to the Training Ground Guru podcast in association with Huddle. We'll be back next month with another episode. If you enjoyed this episode, you'll probably also enjoy our scouting and recruitment webinar on March 22nd. Speakers include Leeds United Director of Football, Victor Orta, and you can find more details about that event on our website.